This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Kia ora, I'm Philip Tolley and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. In this episode, we're delving into the archives to bring you one of the best examples of our long-form journalism, Beautifully Read. This week's story is called Peak Barber. It was written by Steve Kilgallen, who's here now to tell us more about the background to this tale. Steve, such a lovely story. It's a couple of years old now, but that growth in barber shops, it's really noticeable. How did you get into the story? Um, sometimes journalism isn't about going around and banging on doors and chasing down leads. It's just observing what's around you, I guess. And a friend of mine made a throwaway comment about how many barber shops there were in the, the suburb near us, Birkenhead. And he used the phrase peak barber to me. And I thought that was quite funny. And I thought there's probably a story in here for a quiet day. And so I just went and started talking to the barbers about why there were so many of them in one small suburb on the North Shore of Auckland. And it turned into quite a big project and quite a long story, but one I hope is quite an interesting one. Oh, it is. It's delightful. So the actual world of barbering, is it quite an open world or is everybody really protective of their patch and their sort of special service? I think I was lucky that I chanced upon a group of really interesting people without giving too much away. They had some really interesting life stories to share. They talked a bit about the clients, but there's, there's, I think there's a bit of a patient confidentiality as well. So the guy I go to is one of the, the 10 barbers in the story, Paul Bartolo, and I've been getting my hair cut with him for 15 years. And he always talks about how you've got to be very careful with what you say because he had one guy who used to come and talk about how bad his marriage was and then he talked about how amazing his new girlfriend was and then he would start talking about how happy he was with his wife and that taught him that um, people's situations change and you can't predict them so they have to play quite a careful game. So that there's elements of that in the story but what I was more interested in was the barber's own stories, what led them to this place because there are a really diverse cast of people and almost none of them were from Birkenhead. They'd all come from different parts of the world and different backgrounds had led them to this one suburb. So in the story, I try and get into what drew them there, what factors are at play on our high streets now that there are so many barbershops, because it's not just that suburb. You might notice it in your own suburbs, what economic pressures are at play to, to make this phenomena happen. But mainly the, yeah, the stories of the barbers themselves, I was really drawn by them. Thanks, Steve. Now, here is Steve with a touch of strong language reading... Peak Barber. One friend calls it Peak Barber. In the middle-class Auckland suburb of Birkenhead, just west of the Harbour Bridge, there's now 10 men's barber shops within a 400-metre radius. Stand on the roundabout in a village shopping centre and you can see the striped poles in most directions. At the corner barbers, Stephanie Smith had a customer recently who declared he was setting out to try every barber in the suburb. She was the first. So I said, I'll see you again in 12 months then. She stresses he was very happy with his haircut, so expects to see him sooner. My investigation soon established that all of the barbers had noticed. All of them were asked regularly why this unusual phenomenon had occurred, and none had developed a satisfactory answer. Do you know why? Corner barber owner Laurel Hall asked me as we peered out of her plate glass window at the two rival shops opposite. I do now. Sort of. 
The answer, it turns out, is a complicated mix of a shifting male culture, the internet, the resulting rise of the service economy, the theory of cumulative attraction, and the butterfly effect of a repressive Iraqi regime dropping chemical weapons on the villages of North Kurdistan some two generations ago. On a mountainside above his home in Kurdistan, Amin Ismail watched the blooms of white smoke rise. At just 19 years old, he was a resistance fighter in the Peshwaga, a Kurdish militia fighting for independence from Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein's brutal government. The Kurdish genocide of 1987 to 1989, led by Hussein's cousin, chemical Ali Hassan al-Majid, drove about 4,000 Kurds to flee to Pakistan. Ismail was one of those refugees. There was so much bloodshed, so much killing, he says. After two of his friends died, he fled first to Iran, where he spent a month in hospital recuperating from the effects of the chemical bombing. The United Nations then sent him to a refugee camp in Islamabad, the Pakistani capital. He says it was overcrowded, dangerous, and riddled with theft. But he quickly learned Urdu, and his combination of languages Persian and Kurdish, saw him hired as a UN interpreter and given a house away from the camp. Ismail worked for the UN for five years, but says he found Pakistan a repressive society for his wife, who could barely leave the house without being harassed, and he didn't want his two sons growing up there. I am lucky my kids are growing up here, he says. I was very worried for them in Pakistan. It was a bad situation, afraid to go outside. People would stare at you. Then the UN said because he had worked for them, he could have a choice, the United States or New Zealand. Thinking New Zealand was in Europe, he chose to come here, arriving at the refugee resettlement centre in Mangari in 2000. You have no money, no nothing, he says. They give you a house and a small benefit, so yes, it was very hard. But he found work in a Turkish bakery, his wages initially supplemented by work and income, and also passed his electrician's ticket. Barbering, though, ran in the family. His brother owned a shop back home, and he was soon managing a five-seat shop in New Lynn. But he says local Muslim extremists discovered his background and began to harass him because members of the Peshwaga, the Kurdish militia, had renounced their faith, believing, first we have to have freedom, then we have religion. He says he was assaulted and had intimidating visits at home. One man even threatened to kill him. Police installed a panic button in the shop, Seeking a more peaceful life, his son gave him $10,000 to set up business and he wound up, quite content, in Birkenhead Point in a small unit in a 1930s concrete block not far from the wharf. Frightening as it is, Ismail's story isn't unusual. Two more Birkenhead barbershops are owned by families who, independently, took the same path, escaping the genocide first to Pakistan, then to New Zealand on the refugee quota. Coincidence? Not really, says Massey University professor Paul Spoonley. I'd got Spoonley, an expert in demographics, thinking about the barbershop explosion. He'd noticed it on a smaller scale in his native Browns Bay. It is, he thinks, an old tale rewritten for a new generation of migrants. Just as Vietnamese and Cambodians once began bakeries, Chinese started market gardens and laundries, and Indians bought dairies, Arrivals from the Middle East have found their own corner of the market. 
Spoonley calls it an ethnic-dominated niche business, characterised by a hard-working labour force recruited through family and friends. He says it has come coupled with the trend of the haircut as a ritual, an event. Once, he says, his hair was cut by much older men, then by women, and now he sees younger, cooler guys working the clippers. It's like when I watch UK football, Spoonley says. These guys are incredibly well paid, but with incredibly bad haircuts. That could be one reason why 10 barbers can coexist so closely, according to Megan Phillips, AUT lecturer in retail marketing. Men are visiting barbers more often than spending more money, she says. So what you might imagine is a fairly static market is actually expanding. Expectations have also grown beyond the short back and sides. Skin fades are big. The Barbershop Co. offers a lookbook, a catalogue of hairstyles, which includes a faux hawk and a V-fade with pompadour. The mullet, everyone says, is also back, although Barbershop Co. boss Andrew Garrett notes, we're not talking a dirty mullet, it's quite styled, it's all nicely blended, it's done like a proper haircut. A similar shift appears to have happened in Britain, where the term Turkish barbers, from both Turkey and Kurdistan, has come to describe not the ethnicity of ownership, but a deluxe style of barbering experience that includes the burning of stray hairs in nostrils and eardrums. It's also shorthand for a previously unfamiliar work ethic. One British barber told The Economist in 2017, the Turks keep us on our toes. Turks are willing to work seven days a week, and you've got to admire a man who does that. We've started trying to do that now. The Kurdish influence has become generational. Dylan Ali, 23, sits on the bench seat outside the shop he owns, ladies and gents, some 400 metres up the street from Ismail's place. Local MP Shannon Halbert walks past and they exchange waves. Ali leaves his parents' home in Takanini, South Auckland, at 6.30am, driving an hour north to arrive early enough to start the day with a coffee and a vape. His theory for the Middle Eastern dominance in barbering is that soldiers there have to be very clean-shaven, so their barbers have perfected the cutthroat shave. Ali's shop was originally called simply Gents, operating out of a smaller unit next door, and he was an employee. His dad asked if he would rather be his own boss and helped him buy the business. Ali signed a five-year lease on this bigger unit. Now his stepmother, Lamia, provides the ladies' part of the expanded title. Ali gets his own haircut at a cousin's shop in Browns Bay, and his uncle owns a constantly shifting number of shops in South and West Auckland. I don't know what else I would have done, he says. Maybe a trade? He got into barbering working for his uncle on weekends for pocket money, then did a three-month course at the Mr Barber training school in the city. I started saving some money and just didn't stop, he says. It's something I enjoy. You go through 50 to 100 people a week, so you get all those different stories. Merely five shop fronts down Birkenhead Avenue is the appropriately named Happy Barber. His $15 seniors cuts are some of the cheapest in the village. Owner Mustafa Wasta explains, old ones do not have too much hair, so I'm not happy to charge the normal rate. It's called Happy Barber because we are happy here, Wasta says. I'm working with my wife and before I had a hard job, and now it is close to my retirement. If a customer is happy, I am. For 18 years, he owned a kebab shop in Glen Innes and says it meant long hours. He turned 65 this year but plans to keep working past retirement because, he says, wife Kelly is much younger. They have two children, aged 11 and 12. Wasta arrived here in 1997 from Kurdistan via Iraq and Pakistan. 
He says he likes New Zealand's small population, multiculturalism and its peace. Kelly Waster came a decade later when she married him. She was a barber in the Kurdish capital, Erbil. Does she like working with her husband? Yes, of course, she smiles. I just wish we could have a day off together. He works Saturdays, she works Sundays. I don't feel like I'm from Kurdistan anymore, she says. I feel like I'm from New Zealand. It is so friendly. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The internet has had a corrosive effect on the suburban high street. If you can buy something cheaper and easier online, then the shops that once sold that product are going to suffer. Andrew Hay, a local who gets his hair done at all cuts, is chairman of the Auckland branch of the Property Council and general manager of commercial at Stride Property. He says shops that prosper now are those that do things the internet can't replicate. That's services. So while Birkenhead has no bookshop, sports shop, hardware store or big brand clothing chain, it has an oversupply of coffee shops, nail bars, hairdressers and, yes, barbers. While encircled by wealthy suburbs, Birkenhead Centre itself isn't particularly affluent. The mall star tenant, the warehouse, departed in the middle of 2020. Its former space sat empty until it was recently replaced by a coronavirus vaccination centre. Hay says Birkenhead lacks a landmark retailer that would influence its orbit. The shops around the mall, he says, are likely owned by a variety of smaller landlords, meaning no exclusivity clauses and leases to give one barber dominance. Rents are probably low, allowing a small barbering business to be profitable. But Hay suspects peak barber may soon be over. You're starting to see an evolution in Birkenhead, he says. Craft beer, better quality cafes and more intensification. And I think as more and more residents are living immediately in the area, they will demand better amenities on their doorstep. Once there's more demand for different uses, they will pop up. That hollowing out of traditional retail has left a very different looking high street to the one on which Horace, Diddy, Burford opened his combined barber, tobacconist and lottery shop in 1930. Back then, Corner Barber was the only show in town and in the heart of the Depression, Diddy was the only one of six siblings with a job. 91 years later, it's still run by his daughter, Laurel Hall, a former Miss Birkenhead, who took over in 2006 after first Horace, then her mother Audrey, passed away. She removed the tobacco counter, but much remains the same, and the shop prides itself on tradition. They still offer bay rum cologne with every cut. We are, she says, a family barber. We get from tiny tots to their 90s. We've got to be versatile and also able to talk to that age range. You've got to be able to talk to these kids about what they like for lunch, 
and the older ones about their operations. Asked about what's changed, Hall takes the approach of former Chinese communist leader Cho Enlai, who, in one apocryphal tale, was asked about the impact of the 1789 French Revolution and replied it was too soon to tell. Hall says the biggest impact was the way Beatles-inspired teenagers deserted barbers for hairdressers in the 1960s. With such a long view of history, she seems fairly unperturbed by her new rivals. Yes, she agrees, there's been an impact, but she still has regulars who've been coming here for 30 years. Around the corner, Bob Singh, a 22-year veteran of Birkenhead Barbering, is cheek by jowl with one of the newer arrivals, Maxi Barber, but is equally optimistic. The reason why people get into barbering, says Singh, before breaking into song, is money, money, money. They think it's fast money, so people come in with the least experience and the job is not done right. Singh considers he has a higher calling. As a four-year-old sweeping the shop floor, he learned literally at the feet of his father, the late Peter Anand Singh, in Suva, Fiji. I saw my father cutting hair, talking, laughing, smiling at people from all over the world, he says. Barbering is in the bloodstream. What else can you do? Singh's waist-length dreadlocks, combined with shaved sides and a dyed purple flat top, a look he curates himself, were last shorn two decades ago as part of the morning ritual for his father, who shaved the last scalp of his 45-year career on the day he died. Singh shows off a photo of his daughter, aged about eight, helping out in the shop. But his three children have embarked on careers in engineering, plumbing and health science. My kids are all office fellas, he says. I thought they would follow me. Instead, he will try and recruit his grandchildren. He's proud though. My boy is 21 and he's on a hundred bucks an hour, he says. A hundy at 21? At 21 I was a real rough dog. That was when Singh left Fiji. A happy-go-lucky boy, and after stints in the supermarket, the sugar works and on the doll, he returned to the family profession and opened Bob the Barber. He works, he says, seven days until 7pm, alone. Based on the advice of his father, in this game, there is no prime time. After work, he DJs on a Fijian Indian radio station. Since the warehouse's closure, he says, trade has dropped and he describes rent as a killer and he's confident the burst of apartment building locally will bring new clients and has expansive dreams of installing a tattooist and a masseur in the back room. My store, he says, looking around at the breeze block walls, is in the island way. Everything is old school. Having cut the hair of senior cops, lawyers, footballers and league players, he considers himself to be among the country's top 10 barbers. This is based on his Facebook page where he says he has 148 five-star reviews out of 150, giving him a 98% rating. Two fellas give me shit, he says. Opponents, you know? I love my work. I have pride in my work. I make people look good. When you see furniture stores, car dealers, dumpling shops or bike retailers clustered together, it's because of the law of cumulative attraction. As consumers, we like the idea of comparison shopping across a range of stores in one place. But Megan Phillips, the marketing lecturer from AUT, says she's never seen that before with barber shops. As she puts it, you're just going to get a haircut. But she thinks a version of cumulative attraction is at work in Birkenhead. If you turn up and one barber is busy, you know you'll get a cut somewhere. She calls it 
reduced risk of uncertainty. Dylan Ali from Ladies and Gents agrees. People don't like waiting here, he says. It's different out south. People wait an hour, hour and a half. Here, people wait five minutes and walk out. Philip suspects another theory is at play, retail gravitation law. This posits that a greater number of barbers would create a larger pull, perhaps sucking in customers from many kilometers away. A third theory is that the shops have, unintentionally, managed to segregate the market between themselves, each striving to offer something different. Paul Bartolo is a subscriber to that last idea. At his shop, Bespoke Barbers and Vintage, he wanted to create something unique and he knew almost the precise location he wanted. Not in the middle of the shops competing with the $15 a cut guys, not down the hill. Somewhere part way, nestled among the homes of the wealthy of Birkenhead Point, the promontory which juts into the harbour south of the main village. I didn't want guys coming in saying, how much do you charge for a haircut mate? Bartolo says, oh you're a bit busy, I'll go next door. I wanted them coming in for a specific reason. Bartolo took half the shop next door too, filling it with an esoteric mix of antiquities, from 1930s rugby programmes to champagne Jeroboam's and old baseball caps. He'd sold some stuff, a signed photo of Peter Fonda, a piece of the sale from the 1995 America's Cup boat Black Magic, a 1960s tennis racket, one of those velveteen pictures of a matador and some movie props. He'd been offered some stuff. One guy came in with a coffin. Because I'm not a dealer, Bartolo says, I don't know what things are worth, and quite often they want a lot of money. What do you pay for a coffin? The antiques aren't really designed to make him money, but to contribute to the highly cultivated aesthetic he's aiming for. 15 years ago, he says, he couldn't have done this. The evolution of barbering and the way men feel about themselves is where this shop has ended up. It has allowed barbering and design to collide, if you like. Bartolo is almost 60, although he looks 40, and dresses with the panache of a younger man, striped t-shirts, colourful bowler hats. He trained at the famous Moulton Brown hairdressers in his native London, and ran his first Auckland shop in inner city Kingsland in the early 90s. Tex-Mex, he says, all terracotta tiles and giant cacti in pots. Not sure what I was thinking. That grew to three shops, then he owned four, with 17 staff in Melbourne. Then he came back, owned a couple more, then opened the city centre Bespoke Barbers, often used in television programmes and advertisements. For six years, he says, it was everything I could dream of in a barber shop. Then Covid came. Business dropped 40%. Outside on O'Connell Street, Bartolo says, you could fire a gun down it. It just evaporated in front of us. The vibe had gone. In late 2020, he closed up and came here, to Birkenhead Point, walking distance from home. Business is already booming, he says. The previous Saturday, he worked non-stop from 9.30am to 4pm, without even a cup of tea. 18 haircuts. You know what, he says, that's what you've got to do. Bartolo says this with the authority of one who knows a striped pole isn't enough. On a quiet weekend, he'll do a leaflet drop with his kids. He sends a weekly email to customers. You do six months of really hard work to get established, he says. It doesn't matter what it takes, you just do it. 
you have to put this amount of energy into it. Has he still got the endurance for all that? More than ever, he says. Age is irrelevant if your body is in shape. It's your mindset. I come in the shower in the morning thinking, man, this is going to be tough. But by the time 10 o'clock comes, I'm set. That enthusiasm is born from a simple belief. Barbering has to be the best and the coolest job in the world, Bartolo says, if you like people. It keeps you in the game. Whoever you're dealing with, you've got to be able to converse. He used to prepare by reading the paper. Now, he finds current affairs are on the sex, politics and religion list. Don't talk about it. He aims to stay upbeat with a carefully cultivated playlist in the background. And he's reassured, he says, by the fact he's built something he likes. If other people like it, that's inspiring. His cuts, complete with imported Italian shaving cream and Turkish razor blades, are more expensive. But he reckons what he has is different. And if another two shops open like this, he says, I would change it. Think Bowie. They can do it, Bartolo says, but they can't do it because nobody is in the same headspace. This is authentic because it came out of my brain. If I go copy someone else, I can't make that work because it's not authentic. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about Dr. Journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that that I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Actually, Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Peak Barber has its winners and its losers. Just before Christmas, Carl Herkham of B&M Barbers heard Paul Bartolo was back in the village. He took a walk down the road, and as soon as he saw the signage going up, he knew it was Bartolo. I said, are you opening up over the road? You're a bastard. There's no malice in Herkham's voice when he tells me this. In fact, he's smiling. He doesn't blame Bartolo's arrival for the demise of B&M Barbers, even though an unfortunate issue with TripAdvisor and the single street number between their shops meant he'd had some people wandering in looking for his competitor. Ten minutes into our conversation, a bloke did just that 
and Herkim issued cheerful directions. One guy realised only when he was in the chair and said Herkim may as well carry on. I said, you've saved some money. Herkim worked for Bartolo about two decades ago and bought Bartolo's city centre shop off him when he left for Australia. Herkim ran it for about a decade, then sold it himself to a bloke who cold called him and offered about $45,000, twice what he thought it was worth. It paid the deposit on his first home in New Lynn. In May 2021, Herkim's two-year lease in Birkenhead ran out. He decided not to renew. Such is life, he says. It was the uncertainty he couldn't handle. After the second lockdown, he resolved that the third would finish him. After each, he made his losses back quickly, but trade then flattened and dropped. It was October 2020 when things went dead. One day, nobody came in at all. At Christmas, Herkin realised sales were down 30%. Like Bob Singh, he blames the closure of the warehouse and the exit of the local ANZ, Kiwi Bank, BNZ and post office branches. On the last day of April, Herkim closed B and M's doors for the last time. After eight years barbering in the area, he wasn't ready to walk away completely, mainly because of his regulars, like my 11-year-old son, Henry. So now he's renting a chair in the next door lady's salon, which he hoped was a much less stressful setup. Herkim has the sunniest of personalities, but he'd had trouble sleeping in the final few months of trading. If I wake up at 3am or 4am, that's it, he says. I'm awake the rest of the night. It can be little, minor, stupid things. Like, where shall I take the dog for a walk? Or, do I need to charge up the security cameras? Then I get to work and I think, why was I worrying about that at 3am? The best evidence for Megan Phillips's theory that barbering is a growth industry comes from the Barbershop Co. Kiwi's love a franchise business. Conceived in 2015, the Barbershop Co. has already grown to 24 North Island shops. When it moved into Birkenhead, the other barbers, all owner-operators, seemed mildly suspicious. And Andrew Garrett, the Birkenhead franchisee, freely admits he's not a barber. He stumbled on the business when looking online for a new barber after the one he used in Newmarket closed down. There was a button at the top of the homepage saying, own your own. He clicked on it. Nine times out of ten, he says, people would look at that and say no, but I thought, stuff it. Filled in the form and got a call from the boss. Garrett had just been made redundant from his job as finance business partner at the real estate chain Harcourts. And while he'd never cut anyone's hair, and still hasn't, he'd always liked the idea of owning his own business. He'd talked for years about maybe doing a cafe, but this seemed low risk and he understood how franchises worked. Trade is good, he says, and he has no desire to go back to the nine to five. He's just hired a fourth barber. His two male, two female staff comprise a Kiwi, a Macedonian, a Colombian, and an English woman. He has a sunny disinterest in his rivals. They are competition in that they're cutting hair, he says. I could spend my days worrying about that or do what we do, and we know that works. We make sure that every single client that comes through the door, we aim to exceed their expectations every single time. We can be ridiculously busy and a whole lot of people waiting, but for that 20 minutes, the client is the total focus for that barber. 
It's a tough job, says Garrett, the outsider on the inside. It's not for everyone. You've got to be mentally on the ball and on your feet for eight hours. It is hard work, and I think some people probably think it's a bit easy. They all agree that's the secret, people skills. For Paul Bartolo, the barber's chair is a priest's confessional. They want you to know what they want you to know, he says. You keep it within the four walls. He had one man come in who regularly talked about his wife, then about his new girlfriend, then about how he's back with his wife. It's a service industry, Bartolo says. It's not just cutting hair. It's what keeps all of them in the job. I love it, says Laurel Hall. I love the people. Recently, there was a post on the local community Facebook page about how one of the village bakeries was closing down. I wonder what will go there, wrote one wag. Another barber shop? That was Peak Barber on the Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Steve Kilgallen and produced by me, Philippa Tolley. This episode was audio engineered by John Ropiha. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, and that's available on all the usual platforms. So if you liked what you heard, please do give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.